Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1044 with saying Lakani. I've been very blessed in all the years that I've been a restaurateur that I've had very little turnover with employees. Running Bodega, I think almost 90% of our employees were there for the whole 10 years. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. My name is Eric Cacciatore. I'm the founder and host of Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. The Predictive Index, or PI, is a talent optimization platform that helps build happier and more productive teams. With the PI software, you will lower employee turnover, train your managers to be leaders, and keep your employees engaged. You can try PI for free and receive a 30-minute consultation from a certified PI partner, Ed Doherty, from One Degree Coaching. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp if you're tired of the other tater you ought to try tater cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve tater cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors all the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package from the freezer to the fryer to the guest serve them in a variety of different ways and in different applications great for dining delivery and to go with all the uncertainties of the world today we should be able to be certain that our food always has great flavor and tater cakes provides that comfort in every bite request samples at taterkegs.com that's t-a-t-e-r-k-e-g-s.com taterkegs.com 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-founder and executive director of Service, Sang Lakani Sang. Are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh my gosh, I feel unstoppable every day. Yes, I love it. And I love the work you're doing, honestly. When you came onto my radar and I saw your mission to really just empower the next generation of professionals, uh, not just like by giving them a job, but like giving them skills, not just within the four walls of the restaurant, but life skills. And I think... And I truly believe this, that if you if you choose to open a restaurant, you have a moral obligation to lift up the people that come to work for you. And you're a shining example of that. I cannot wait to get into who you are and how you got to where you are today and the work you're doing with service. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So I think inspirational quotes or mantras change with time, right? Because your plans change. You have to be a little flexible. We evolve. Right, we yeah. evolve. Uh, your goals stay the same, but your plans change. Um, so, off recent, I think the thing that I've been relying on the most is that it's never too late to be the person you were meant to be. Mm. Um, since COVID, I think that's been very true for a lot of us. You know, we've arrived in new places, and I'm here. You're never. It's never too late to be the person you were meant to be. Yep. It's a quote by George Eliot, which is actually a pseudonym for a female author who was Marianne Williams. So what goes through my mind when I hear that is no matter what you've done in the past, no matter who you want to be or who you thought you were, now is the time to be who you always wanted to be. And it's never too late to start. Never too late. Yeah, I love that. Why is that so important for you to get out? I think growth comes... With experience, right? So we grow up being labeled and put into boxes. You're a woman, you're short, you're tall. Like there's expectations surrounding the boxes that you've been put into. And I think we spend so much of our time just trying to live up to other people's expectations that you forget your own vision. Mm. Um, And I, you know, I think the last couple of years have brought so many things to surface for so many people. Uh, so many people have had to pivot in their careers. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, the work you're doing right now is what matters. Right. You know, it's not about whatever happened in the past or, you know, wherever your circumstances led you. You're in charge of your own destiny. Yeah. It's not your circumstances that make you. It's the decisions you make right. that Make and, you. And I think that, that, that message resonates with a lot of people. Even as a white male, that resonates with me. As somebody who grew up who wasn't, uh, my strengths weren't the strengths of a traditional male. You know, I was more emotionally, socially intelligent, not like technically, mathematically geared. And I, and I chose that, the, that path early in my, my life because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I became a commercial pilot. I'm colorblind, dyslexic, and have horrible ADHD. I should have never been a commercial <laughs> pilot, but I felt like that's what I need to do. That's what I should do. You know, I'm a white guy. Like, like that's what, like, that's my path, you know? Right. And if, knowing what I know about myself today, I would have definitely gone into the field of like psychology, sociology, more emotional based, like, like empathetic type work, you know? And, but I, I just didn't think that that was meant for me because of the, the social norms, you know? And it does, it takes a strong person. It takes a lot of conviction to tear away from those things. Right. I mean, I'm Indian. I was obviously supposed to be a doctor, right? right. There was like no other path for right. any Indian. Well, now we have software engineers, we're really evolving. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, to 
go into a creative field to become an artist, to become a chef was not a thing. And then to tear away from all of that and, you know, become a social entrepreneur, like all of these paths that have brought me to where I am today is, you know, um, those are decisions I had to make for myself, right? I couldn't rely on the things that were slated for me right. by my family or by my, you know, environment. So it does take, it takes a lot of courage in a way to fight the norm and mm. be unstoppable. I love it. I love it. So I see that you, according to LinkedIn, I, I could go back as far as 1992 with you in your life as an owner, um, a restaurant owner. Uh, but where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Where, where, how far back do you want to take us? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Um, what were you doing before restaurants? I was a student. Uh, I started in the restaurant world when I was 22. Okay. Um, I came here from India uh, right before I turned 17. Okay. Um, again, I, you know, rebelled from the social norms. I couldn't. I hear no accent. You know. Um, yeah. So we. We call these airport accents. Um, When I'm speaking to my parents or when I'm speaking to my family, my Indian accent clicks in. So my kids really make fun of me. Uh, But I was also uh, privileged in the sense that I grew up in Mumbai, which is, you know, a metropolis. And I went to a private school in a British school to boot. So um, I think my vocabulary or how I enunciate words comes through but yeah somehow i mean i've been I would, here i kind of assumed you were first generation you were i've born been here. here twice as long as i was in india right okay. so some of that fades naturally and then yeah. as an immigrant you're used to adapting mm. right you have to kind of you come to a country like this and all you want to do is hide and not be noticed mm. so you try to blend in as much as you can right because you're already obvious mm. so you try to blend in as much as you can and then it takes years to realize that I'm unique and people are looking at me because, you know, to them I'm so exotic, right? Like, oh my gosh, like, where does she come from? Well, I mean, that's kind of, as somebody who grew up in New Hampshire, which is probably one of the least diverse places in America, I think there was probably two minorities in my elementary school growing up, you know? And, like, I remember being a kid and seeing people who were different and just being, in, like, I reflecting back at it, it was inappropriate to be staring or to be taken by somebody who looks so different, but I was just in awe of it, you know, cause you, as a child, like it's, you can't, when you see somebody who's not like you, you can't help but to, to notice. You know, of course, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're trying to fit into like, you know, this sea of white people, I can only imagine how stressful, right? All be. you want to do is hide. I bet. Right. Like I, you, you kind of work on your accents, you work on how you dress, you work on just blending in, right? Like, just please don't call me out for how I say aluminum versus aluminum, you know, right? Like That sounds way cooler, though. <laughs> so, you know, it's those things, and you're like, you know, I say can't and not can't. Like, those things, and all you do is, like, try to hide, right? Because um, you just want time. You want time to figure out you're where you're going to land mm-hmm. in this space, mm-hmm. right? You need time to invent yourself or reinvent yourself because obviously you're trying to leave behind some part of you mm-hmm. and start this new in this new space. Right. Um, so it is, you know, it's 
kind of funny to look back on my life because all I do now is make noise for the world, right? Like I'm making noise for my community. And all I was trying to do when I first came here was like try to hide from everyone. And now I've like gone to the other end of the spectrum where I'm like, how much noise can I make? How much can I get people to notice me? Because I am here, Yeah, you know? Um, So it is funny, but you know, so I came here as, you know, this person that was trying to fit in and figure out what I was going to do. I just knew I was a creative of sorts right. and there was not a space for me in India to pursue that. Well, I hope you're inspiring the people who, who might be resonating with what you're sharing to in- encourage them to be the, the most authentic version of themselves, right? And I do want to add, as somebody who didn't get a lot of exposure to diversity as a young person, when I st- was st- staring at somebody who was different, I remember thinking to myself, just like you said, exotic, like different, like almost like admirable of like, wow, look at that. You right. know? So don't always think that when people are looking at you, they're thinking negative things because sometimes it could be the complete opposite, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, very quickly I learned to use that to my advantage, mm. right? I knew it could open doors for me. I knew it could, I did stand out in a crowd yeah. and it did get me into places that, you know, maybe somebody like you would not juxtaposition, get, right? Yeah. So I learned to use that to my advantage at a very young age. Yeah. You know, um, so seventeen years old, mm-hmm. you you moved to America. Twenty two years old, you're working in restaurants. Um, what happened? Like, what was that five? What happened in that five years? Were you were you down a different path that you ended up getting off, or did you always know you wanted to work in restaurants? No, I never knew I wanted to work in restaurants. I'd never even made toast when I came to this country. Uh, I grew up in a pretty privileged household and we had cooks in the house and we had help in the house. So I had never boiled water. Um, I didn't know how to do anything. Uh, Come so far. So Right? I've really grown up. Uh, so cooking was not on the radar. I knew it was a creative form, you know, that I was going to pursue. I just didn't know what that looked like. So I tried to go to art school. I went to CCAD, um, and then I was like, okay, this is not for me. This is not my art. I tried to go to culinary school, and that was not for me either. What was it for you about culinary school? I think it was... I wanna, I'm, I'm a hands-on person. I'm a doer. And that, to me, just seems like book knowledge that wasn't really going to help me in the field. You know, I mean, if you're, if you were training to be in the army and somebody just handed you a bunch of books and were like, here, you're going to study how to go to war, it would make no sense. Well, even in culinary know? school, isn't necessarily teaching you how to run a business as right. much as it's teaching you how to, like learn about food right you're you're trained to be a chef and to stay in your very certain it's a very certain skill set right but it's not like they can't teach you hustle yeah so you know so it was kind of a little let me try this let me try that um none of it kind of fit school wasn't for me um and i met somebody that had just opened a pizza place, which is where I started working because, you know, that individual at that point didn't know that he should check my immigration papers. <laughs> Worked out really well for me. <laughs> so this is before you're 22 years so old? Or this I was 21, 21. And I started working at a pizza place. And about six months later, I ended up marrying the owner of the pizza oh, place. Wow. So I started my career as an owner. Oh, wow. Um, so is this... Um Hound Dog's Pizza. Okay, so the year is 1992, right? Yeah. 
Oh, you're 22 years old, not to date you. 1992. I'm proud uh, of my age. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people go, like, excuse me, don't tell no, me. No. But I'm, my mind works very chronologically for some reason. It's how I can kind yeah. of. I also like to people to know like, hey, like you're never too young to start. You know, and like, you're never too old to change. Exactly. You're also never too old to start. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and so from 1992 to 2004, uh, your life is this pizza restaurant. Yep. Okay. I'm having kids. I'm doing all the right things, you know. Um, and then as life would have it, the marriage didn't work out and I had to take the next steps again. I'm not the kind of person that wants to carry my past with me. So I chose not to like go the route of like, I want to stay in touch with this business or I want to be connected to, you know, getting alimony from someplace or, you know, whatever that looked like. So I wanted to go do my own thing. And I started Bodega. What Uh, what city was this pizza place in? In Columbus. Columbus, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's on campus. Um, It still exists. It still does very well, you know. Um, So so you... um, you go your own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start Bodega, and the year is 20, uh, 2005, a year after you parted with your partner. About 2004, yes, 2004. Um, you have that for about 10 years. Yep. Um, but like along this line of evolution, right, like who you are today versus who you were then, how did you evolve during this period from 1992 to 2004, this 12-year stretch? So I learned business. And that was huge. You know, it was beyond just learning how to cook because, of course, I learned to cook because I didn't yeah. know how to, right? Um, and But I learned business and I learned more than anything people. Um, at a pizza place, especially a 24-hour pizza place, you get a very, very diverse employee base, right? Um, so we had – it was – so amazing to meet people that I would have never met before, right? From sectors or for demographics that I was in no way a part of, right? So there were punk rock kids and there were skaters and there were kids just trying to go to college and make, you know, have some sort of income and people that maybe wanted to open their own pizza place. And you meet all kinds of people, but Spending that much time shoulder to shoulder with people is really game changing because you really understand the psychology of. And this is the stuff I geek out over. Like this is the stuff that really like inspires me to learn more. What did you learn about people specifically? That everybody is out there doing the best that they can with the circumstances that they have and with what they've been given. Everybody wants better. Everybody is hopeful and has a goal not everybody has the resources to get there right honestly speaking i think this is where most restaurateurs struggle is understanding people in serving existing to serve these people um they get so caught up in the process and the operations and the numbers and the data and the the technology they're using like am i using the right pos is that really going to effing matter like but what your team thinks of you is going to matter. I'll tell right. you right now. Like right. we get so focused on all those little details of like the operation that we just we take for granted our people. I've been very blessed in all the years that I've been a restaurateur that I've had very little turnover with employees. Um, running Bodega, I think almost ninety percent of our employees were there for the whole ten years. Wow. Um, That's. That's crazy. Right. Some of them came on with me when I opened the table. Some of them went on with my partner who opened uh, a local brewery, Seven Sun. Um, 
through the table, I think about 70% stayed with me the eight years that I had the table. And That's some of them now work with me at service. I also will make the argument that the, the, the tenure at the table, 2013 to 2020, the industry was kind of changing to be more transient. Very much. Yeah, so that a 70% retention rate during that period is unheard of. Very know? much, yeah. yeah. Um, and But that that comes when you actually work with your team, right? You can't... It's, it, it's a hard line to draw, right? Because you're a small business owner and you do have to take care of the HR and you got to take care of the inventory and you got to keep up with customer relations and vendor relations. And you're trying to wear so many hats that it does become difficult to separate yourself from that owner position, right? But to take the time and be okay with mopping the floor that day or getting on dishes if help is needed or actually spending time with your employees is really, really important because you don't get to this place. You don't get to wear this crown by doing the work yourself, mm. right? Like you do it on the backs of your teams. I love that. And I think we forget that, right? Like, the more you get caught up in your success, you forget the people that helped you get there. Oh, for sure. That's, I, I think so many people are guilty of that. I'm sure myself included. You know, right. we, we just lose sight. Um, so, on this idea of like your lessons about people, did you ever, earlier on as an owner, did you ever have any hard lessons about when you didn't do something right? And you, in retrospect, you're like, oh, that's on me. Of course. I mean, I feel, you know, over the years, I have, I feel like I've let down people because I didn't understand the gravity of their situation or I didn't have the resources to be able to help them, right? Um, These are all learning lessons. You don't, you know, becoming a business owner doesn't mean that you're given the handbook to every problem that's going to arise. Um, And there were people that had maybe a lot of mental health struggles or depression or, you know, financial struggles or, hey, I have to travel an hour by bus to get to work. So sorry I'm late every day, you know, or I make excuses. You know, had I taken a moment then to try to understand what the issue was as opposed to just being so quick to reprimand somebody, um, I feel like I could have maybe changed a few lives so along the way. If I'm listening correctly, or if I'm distilling a lesson, it's take the time to, to really learn and ask questions and understand your employees, not just to have it be a transactional relationship, show up on time, do your job. That's all you are to me. Right. You know, I think if we stop, take a beat and actually ask questions as opposed to just making assumptions, it changes the dynamic, right? I mean, these are human beings Yeah. just because we're not like aware of everything that they go through once they leave the doors doesn't mean like this, this person just stops being a person once they walk in the door. Like right. now you're just an employee, right? Like these aren't robots we're hiring. Yeah. So you also said you learned a lot about business, knowing what you know now about business after opening, I think what, like at, at least three different restaurants, mm-hmm. um, reflecting back at that younger rendition of yourself, like what advice would you have for yourself? What were the things that you saw that you know, knowing that what you did then with your husband, your ex-husband, like what would you have done differently knowing what you know now in terms of business? I think it's what I've told my kids. I'm like, I don't care what career you go into or what you end up doing. Um, 
take some business classes. Understand finances. I think that's the biggest thing. Was that a challenge for you, finances? You know, again, it was because of the life that I came from. I wasn't expected to, I wasn't taught that, right? I mean, it's more so like I was a girl in India and those expectations weren't there. Like you'll have an amazing education and then you'll have an amazing marriage and you'll take care of this dude's house and family, right? Like, you don't need to understand money. So what didn't you, what was your struggle in terms of finances? Where, where were you really like disconnected? I just thought that if I did the best and put out the best product and charge something that people would be comfortable paying, everything would be fine. Mm. Right. But well, to understand profit and loss margins, to understand marketing, to understand how to actually make money in a restaurant, right? Because that's the biggest struggle restaurateurs have is that profit margin. And if I'd understood that before I went on this path, I had to learn the lessons along the way. What was the tipping point for you? When did you start to learn it? I think I started to learn it when I was, when I started Bodega. Okay. Um, because at that point I was in a situation where I was going through a divorce and I had two children and, you know, for a while I was a single mom and I was working all the time. And that's when numbers started clicking for me. Right. Um, knowing what you know now, were there any other struggles in your first restaurant a, 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 a separate from finance, the financial side of things? I, yes. Um, I think as, or at least personally for me, I shouldn't speak to all restaurateurs, but, um, I think we're passionate people, right? We're dreamers, we're creatives, and I think we chase this dream, and it's not really always grounded in reality. Um, I think if we take more time to consult with mentors in the business, you know, actually have real conversations, um, if there was more transparency maybe in our industry where people... If only there was a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If only there was a podcast that would tell you about these things. Um, Exactly. I 100% agree. And that's what we're here to do is to get people to be more vulnerable, to be to open up, to share, and to, to go to mentors in the industry and ask, how did you do it? So we can empower people. So there's never a mom and pop situation out there where people are working 80 hours a week and can't pay their mortgage. Right. You know, like that's what I grew up in. Or putting yourself last on the list, right? Like to not think about putting yourself on the payroll Mm. is such a big mistake, you know, but you don't know that you think you're doing the right thing, Mm. you know, like, Oh, I'm going to pay for all of this first. Then if there's money left, well, that's not how it works. That's not how you sustain a business. How does it work? You know, Oh my gosh, there's so many layers to that, right? Uh, I think it is. It's just understanding your product. It's pricing things fairly, uh, which is, I think, what we really are struggling with right now. Uh, Paying people fairly, having, you know, having transparent conversations, educating your customers, and educating your employees, because... When they look at you, they see that you're a business owner. So obviously that's glamorous and you're rolling out in your Bentley right. and pulling up to your mansion. Where's all right? this money like, going? Where's my um, cut? Right. Yeah. Like, oh, you're, you're rich. Clearly you're a business owner. But most of your employees also have hopes and dreams about someday being a restaurant owner. So I think to be transparent and educate them and maybe show them your P&L and show them how these numbers break down. 
is helpful not just to them because they have some ownership in the business, you know, and they have a learning experience, but it's helpful to you too because you're also stopping to take a look at your numbers and yeah. looking at the breakdown. By teaching right? other people, you're forced to do it. And Yourself. What, what Seng is talking about is open book management. Really taking, opening up your, your books, your accounting books, and showing people where the money is going. Uh, and I don't know if you, it sounds like you, you've maybe heard of or use Profit First based off what you shared with yes. me. Yes. Yeah, and I, I'm a huge advocate for Profit First. I've collaborated with Profit First professionals to teach courses on this stuff because you need to take your profit. That's the whole point of being, it's not to be as profitable as possible. I don't necessarily believe that's true. Uh, I think we want to be profitable, but you have to take care of yourself. Right. And your passion fizzles out if you're not making money, right? At the end of the day, we have to remember that this is a business. Right. And you need money. And business first. And you need money to sustain that business. And create opportunity for other people. Right. It's 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 a it's the oil that makes the machine run. Right. Uh, Or the fuel, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, So you didn't learn any of this until your, your time at Bodega. Um, any other lessons before moving on? I want to cut you short. I mean, so many lessons, right? You learn lessons every day. Every experience is a new experience. Every day is a new day. You're, you know, faced with problems you don't foresee. Was you? You came into the 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 picture with a partner too, a life partner and a business partner. Correct. I think those two are one and the same in the industry. Honestly, even if you're not married to this individual, they are a life partner to a certain degree. Correct. Right. So, um, what did you learn about partnerships? They're very difficult. <laughs> well, how, yeah, how are you better now at partnerships than then? Um, I think I've learned to listen more. Um, I think I've learned to not just think that I've come to this decision and it's a studied decision, so it's the right one. I have to remember the other person also came to this place with their own, with their own research, right? With their own opinions, um, it's very important to have clear lines in what you're going to be doing, what your job duties are in any partnership, um, whether it's your marriage or a business partnership. I think role dispersal is very necessary <laughs> because you don't want to step on each other's toes. No, and, right. And you don't want to not perform enough because you're expecting somebody else to pick up right. the bag, right? I think it's important to recognize that I think we evolved to be diverse. You know, over millions of years, when you know, we're hunter gatherers operating in groups of, of like, you know, 50 to 150 people, like to be a diverse group of people meant you were stronger because there's different people that brought different skills to the table. Right? right. So know what you're good at, communicate what you're good at. Even more importantly, communicate to other people what they're good at, because I don't think many people are self-aware. It's the clues that the universe gives us that helps us become self-aware. So like. Like stay in your lane and then surround yourself with people who are strong, you know, where you're weak. Right. Because you're not good at everything. Right. Right. No matter how like cocky we are. It's like, I got this mentality. Like, you know, we're not good at everything, you know, and it is really important to surround yourself with the people that are filling those voids for you. You know, that's that's the path. Yeah. Yeah. So Bodega, uh, your first solopreneur operation or did you have business partners? I had a partner. Okay. Yes. And tell me more about this partner. So he was an employee at Hound Dogs, well, at the bar part of Hound Dogs, which was called Ravari Room. Um, And he was an employee there, and he wanted to open a coffee shop. And he just came after me, like, you know, open this place with me. Let's open a coffee shop. Let's open a coffee shop. I'm like, 
I mean, I have no interest in a coffee shop. You know how much coffee you have to sell to like make a buck? Like, I have no interest in that. So, okay. So then we started talking more and he was like, let's open a bar. And I was like, all right, you know, I would be interested in that. And it was funny because I was like, if you can make me the perfect Bloody Mary, we can have a second conversation about this because I think people really fail at the perfect Bloody Mary and the perfect martini. Right? How do you do? You know, how? How do you do? So it took him a while. He got there. He did make me the perfect Bloody Mary. Um, I still love that Bloody Mary. Um, And we started having this conversation, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I knew at that point, like, I had to get out of the situation I was in and I needed to do something else, right? So we opened a bar in the short north and people thought we were crazy because they were like, that's not even the short north. Like, oh my God, there was, and there was literally like hookers and crack dealers around the space when we were doing construction, right? And people were like, what are you doing here? Like, it's not the short north. It's like the bad end, you know? And we're like, yeah, rent's cheap and, Maybe we don't know what we're doing, but here we are, you know? I think that there's something to be said about finding spots that are right on the edge. Um, because if you can hang on for five years, that edge is going to become the center before long. Right. You know, because things tend to grow from the inside out. Correct. So you don't need to be in the middle of it. You just need to get close enough to it and, and hang on long enough until it, like that, that center swells up around you. Yeah, we were really lucky. We didn't have to hang on too long. Uh, I joke about the fact that I've raised my clientele. So Hound Dogs was, you know, high school kids and young college kids. And then Bodega was like, oh, I the just, wave. you know. Retain your confidence. Right. So it was a natural flow. Uh, very early on in the game, uh, Colin was smart enough to be like, hey, there's this craft brewery. Uh, movement and it's not happening in Ohio and let's you know take away our three taps and put in 50 and so we did that a year into the business 2006 so yeah, yeah and it's right up at the beginning of this this movement right and it booms like we made sure our staff was Cicerone certified we made sure they understood beer uh, we made sure they were able to communicate that without sounding haughty to were customers you char- were you paying for that certification yes wow. Yes. Yeah, we paid for the education. Um, But it was important, right? Because people didn't know beer. Like, we were so excited about, like, PBR coming to Ohio. (laughs) You know? So it was like... uh, Hey, I like PBR. Don't don't You know? Oh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? (laughs) You know? But there's a time for, like, a better beer, right? Right. Um, So we were getting limited casks and, you know, uh, limited barrels that... You know, there were only so many for Ohio, and Bodega was getting them first. Uh, so we really developed this cult following at Bodega. Um, we realized Mondays were a little bit slower, so we started selling dollar grilled cheese on Mondays. I saw that. What's the strategy behind that? So it was just a, initially a ploy to bring people in, right? It's you weren't we making had money a lot on that of grilled cheese, were you? Oh, no, we weren't making money on that grilled <laughs> cheese. We weren't even breaking even on that grilled what's cheese. Because it was a good grilled cheese. We had a lot of bike messengers around that area. And, you know, they were always looking for, like, a quick, cheaper snack, right? Um, so it was just about, okay, well, if we have a dollar grilled cheese, and then they're buying their $3 PBR, let's add a cup of soup on there for another couple bucks. Now you're making money. Right. Right. Um, but it's the draw to get people in on a slow day and then they end up right. spending the money on the, where the higher margins are. You're and alcohol. I was putting out on an average Monday night, about 300 grilled cheese. Wow. 
So if you look at how many people were coming in on a Monday night, on and average, this was between 5 and 10 p.m. How many, grilled, how many beers did each grilled cheese have? At least two, right? Yeah. An average of two. Yeah. So I don't know how many beers you have to sell to break even on so, what you're losing yeah, grilled cheese. But then the soup, and it's just bringing people in, right? Yeah. And it, it was amazing. It turned into just a thing. Um, so, again, right? Like, you learn these things along the way. Right. Like, nobody can give you a handbook and be like, hey, if you do this, do this. Where you did know? you go to do Bodega better than what you were doing before? Because you said when you started Bodega, you're like, I'm going to do this right. Like, what was your resource? Where did you, was it mentors or like, how did you learn how to do it better the second time around? It was just experiences. I don't think, I mean, I don't know if we even understood mentorship then. Um, I don't think that was a word in my vocabulary, at least. Um, I, again, and I fall back to like, you know, coming to this country as an immigrant, like there are so many lessons that I've just had to learn on my own because I didn't know resources were available, right? Like this is, and this is something we still see with immigrants in this country. You don't know resources are available and you don't know where to go for these resources. I just came from a very work mentality, you know? Like I don't dream about success, I work for it. So it was just, we're going to do this again. Like as long as you have a goal, your plans can fluctuate, right? Things sometimes don't work out. And sometimes things take off on the first go. So you have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. You have to be resilient to failures as long as you keep your goal in mind. Just keep showing up. You know, every day. (laughs) Right? I think really that's the secret to being unstoppable is like not succumbing. It's mindset, not succumbing to the emotions that are inevitably going to peak up over time when you hit those struggles and just know this too shall pass. Right. And like, just keep showing up and keep getting better after every struggle. Um, so what, if there were any major struggles for you, what, what were they with it within the bodega time, that period? You know, it's, I think, and it feels, it feels cocky to say it with bodega. The struggle was, do we, grow more do we open another bodega do we i mean that's not a cocky it thing was, to say. it's a real know, it's a real good it's a good problem to have right bodega things just really lined up like enough the city was ready for it we did the right things we put the right things into place at the right time we took the right chances and bodega was successful you know and our struggle was how do we grow that's and a real to challenge. right, and to actually be confident enough to realize that this isn't a place that is duplicated, this isn't a place that you expand, because a bodega too would have diluted bodega. It would have diluted the brand. It wasn't the right place to take over the space next door and grow into a bigger space right. or open a next one. Um, bodega worked because there was people waiting to get in, right? They'd like look in and be like, this place is packed. How do I get in the door? That's not a model you can always successfully grow. So it takes, it takes a realization to be like, this is it for a bodega. Right. Well, I think it was also one of the biggest lessons I've learned in over a thousand episodes is there is no right way to do anything. There's just a way that's right for you based off of what your skills are, what your vision is, what your values are, whatever 
the change in the world you're trying to make. Like, there's no right way. There's just the way, the right way for you. And I mean, there are concepts that do scale better. Like, right. Like, can you scale something where you have to like, what's the level of, of um, you know, investment to everybody you hire to get them to become a Cicerone? Like, that doesn't necessarily have legs. You know, like that's not something that's easy to scale. It's a lot of influence and lifting to do that. A chicken finger concept where you're drip, you know, you're dropping fingers and you're, you're kind of, you're, you're just trying to be like the, the go-to source for chicken fingers that has legs. That's, that's replicable. Repl- <laughs> uh, that's a hard word. Replicable. To say. Uh, re- yeah. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? So yeah, I totally pick up what you're, what you're putting down. Yeah. Um, but that also takes, you know, it takes courage to make those decisions, right? Because what we hear and what we see is that you have to grow. Why isn't there five more? Why isn't there, you know? So to to shut the voices out and to follow your own instinct is not always the easiest path to take. So, I mean, I don't know where I, I mean, I have thoughts, but I don't want to put thoughts into your head. So do you always have to grow to be successful? Well, growth looks different, right? Okay. Growth isn't always like five more stores. Right. Growth can be personal growth. So what was growth for you? Growth for me was personal growth. Uh, growth for me was realizing then that my path was a little bit different. I was learning food. I'd learned food a lot more at that point. And um, I had started relationships with a lot of local and urban farmers. And at that point, I was like, you know, my next step is working more on that end of things. I wanted to work with farmers. I wanted a farm-to-table experience. I wanted people to have more of a global experience with locally grown produce. So your, right? your growth was value-based. Yeah. And then it was, you know, I think what I learned with Hound Dogs, too, that I brought into Bodega is that people matter. And I wanted my next venture to be a teaching kitchen because I knew that I had learned the hard way. And I knew that I was still even had a little bit more privilege that I could afford to make mistakes that I did financially. Uh, not everybody has that. What were the biggest, I mean, did we already cover all, all the financial mistakes you made? Or is there another one here that's a lesson that we can unpackage? Um, I think we can talk about the table. And I think I made some financial mistakes with the table. Um, Before we get into the table, why did, like, 2005 to 2015, you have this booming concept that lines out the door, people trying to get in to do sell it? Like, what was Yes. Okay. Yes. We sold Bodega and we had reached that tipping point with Bodega because where do you go from there if you're not going to open another shop, right? And it had gotten to a point. Here was the downside of my uh, employee retention and regulars. Everybody got too comfortable, Right, So there were regular customers coming in that were taking up the bar seats that had over the years formed relationships with the staff. Right, So you get to a point where there's a lot of free drinks exchanging hands. You know, Servers are still getting tipped by the regulars, so they're fine. People look at you as a successful business owner, so clearly it's fine if they gave away so many free drinks. You know, and there was like this, this little microcosm growing within the bar that was flatlining sales, 
right? Because it's it's so hard to track. Right. Especially in a cash business like that. Now we live in more of a credit card world, but 2004, 2010, it was still cash business, you know, and there was just, it started flatlining sales and it was time to step away. Knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently to combat that? I think more discipline. I think, you know, um, it's, that's a hard one to say because it goes against what I'm trying to do now, right? Because in that situation with Bodega, if I had to do it again, I don't know if anything could have been done differently because I wanted to keep on my employees and you're never chasing away your regulars, right? Like that's your bread and butter. Right. But There's other ways to provide I, value to your regulars than free drinks. Right, yeah. and I think I maybe would have started spending more time in the bar again and keeping better eyes on what was coming in and going out. But you tend to, at that point, like put your trust in people, right? Like, you know, I think if there's one thing that should be outsourced in a bar situation, if if you have a restaurant or with a bar or if you're just a bar is inventory. Yeah. So we used a really good company for that. And, you know, it was, we really, kept really tight margins on loss. But again, in a cash business, it's really difficult to control how your POS is manipulated. Right. Right? Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So people were making up charges and it was things are, yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's no, like there's always going to be that, like that percentage of people who, who, no matter how well you treat them, they're going to feel entitled to it. They're going to be smart enough to, to, to manipulate the system to be untraceable. And that's one aspect of it, right? There are other things too. I mean, by then there were like 20 other bars in the neighborhood that had 50 beers on tap, Yeah, right? Like everybody... So you, were no, you were no longer the only one I was, yeah, yeah. Everybody, like it was It was just a deluded scene by Any that point. Any lessons about being like a, an exit strategy, getting out, selling? Did you learn about that? Um, Sure, because that was my first sale too, right? And it's learning how to put real value on your business because in your head everything's worth millions of dollars because you're looking at your blood and sweat right like and to actually understand numbers was uh, a little eye-opening for me you know because I was like of course it's worth you know five million dollars look at this place you know like a heads up you can give somebody if they're trying to get out of their restaurant or they have plans to sell their restaurant something you wish you did um I I would say really putting you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate you. No, no. Um, I think I think it is important to actually work with an accountant and understand your numbers and understand the value of your business and try to keep your ego outside of right. it. You know, and you know, make those decisions. Do I want to sell the? Am I selling the brand or am I just selling the space? Right. right? There are differences. It's right. somebody isn't always coming in to buy. A bodega. Right. Are you selling a machine that you've built that's turnkey in profiting and cranking out money, or are you selling the assets that you own? Right. And what is the value of it from the time you first opened it, where it was the only bar with 50 right. beers, to now where there's like 20 other bars like within walking distance right. that are emulating the same thing. I think real, you know? like being aware of the law of, um, what is it, the law of reciprocity or the law of diminishing returns. That's what I'm thinking of. The law of diminishing returns where, where if you're peaking... There's a chance that like eventually over time that 
those numbers are going to trend down. That's the law of diminishing returns. It's like it's inevitable unless you're right. constantly reinventing yourself. Know when you're peaking. Right. <laughs> know when times are good, and then then you know get out if if that's your plan. So you can so you have meat on the bone, so you can turn around and invest in the next thing, right? The next project. And I think as small business owners and especially restaurateurs, uh, these are passion projects, and we turn them into our babies, and we stop looking at them as a business. Yeah. I mean, but as a business person, you're trying to create something of value and sell it at a profit and walk away. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Peter Lazar, the author of Restaurant Strong is the best account I know of when he talks about the law of diminishing returns. And if you ever, if you want to learn more about that, I think it was yeah. a good lesson for me. Not, not you, anyone who's listening to this, uh, who wants to learn more about that. I love his account of it. Um, I do also want to in, in, inject right now. I think we talked about the, the importance of partnerships and staying in your lane. I think this is going back almost 10 years ago at this point, or, you know, 10 years ago since you got out, um, 2015, it's only getting more difficult. Uh, the, the the margins are only getting tighter, with the cost of of labor going up and the cost of goods going up. Your our, our prime costs are just going up. Um, you have to get better at leveraging those tools that are at your disposal, the technologies that are at your disposal, so you can do more with less. And I think it's inevitable in the future as we go in, into the future. Like you need to lean on automation and technology if you want. You, you, it's it's like a painful it, like yes. hard truth. You know. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? You know. No. I mean, one hundred percent. Like the it's not just our industry, right? The world has changed, right. and we really need to lean into it a little bit more. You know. And again, we're we're a hospitality industry. Of course, that aspect can't be replaced by automation. Like there has to be. Right. a human component to it. But how you run your business, you know, the back end of things, I think we do need to lean more into. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm going on the change. record right now and saying if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow and I'm, I'm honestly scared to shit of selling out. Like I'm afraid people are worried. Oh, here goes Eric sold out. But if, if I need to start getting to the point where I need to commit to like, what am I doing if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow? And I'll tell you right now, after doing my research and talking to people, I'm really impressed with Restaurant Assistance Pro. Like, I'm looking to like really start pushing that and start create community around what they're doing because it's a one-stop shop. Everything you need back of house, one payment from POS to general ledger to inventory management to scheduling like labor management to AR and AP, all under one roof that's constantly evolving. And the world is getting so complex right now. Like, how are you going to keep your thumb on all the different elements of evolution? These different best-in-class app trap like all these different apps that you have to duct tape together. It's so much, especially as a small business owner, right? Because you don't have that extra right. time. And, and I think, I think restaurant owners or restaurant systems pro is like literally the only one that's in reach for some of these small operators right now, because some of the other solutions out there, and I want to name names are kind of a little bit too much out of reach for people on a tight budget. Um, but did I cut you short? No, I just heard you say sell out. And I don't know why that's so attached to our industry. We don't look at other industries that grow, evolve, that, you know, uh, lean into the new world order as sellouts. Right. But somehow when it comes to creatives, if like if you make these changes, then you're a sellout. I know. Like it's, 
keep in mind, it took me a thousand episodes to, to come to terms on this is what I believe. You know? So I've done my research, <laughs> right. you know, but I also am putting that through the filter of I'm Eric Cacciatore and that's what I'm doing tomorrow. Um, I'm not going to tell you what's best for you. I just know that if you're like me, if you're like you said, a dreamer, if you're somebody who likes the, the human element of things and working with people and growing people and developing people, you need to teach those people a system and I'm not going to build a system as good as Restaurant Systems Pro has. That's not what I do. That's not my lane. Like we can choose to partner with companies now over people alone because now there's companies that exist to serve that purpose. A person would have a director of operations would have 10, 15 years ago. Now there's technology that is service as a software that we can invest in like we would invest in a person, but now have a system handed to us that we can put good people into. Right. And that's how I see it. Cause I like working with people. I hate, technology and systems. So I'm going to invest in a company that's evolving over time so I can have that box checked and put good people into that system to manage it. Well, also, as you lean into these things, it frees up your time to actually work on the people, right? Or work with the people because otherwise you're so caught up in taking care of back exactly. of the house things that you don't actually focus on the people that... Then that's really what matters. You want to grow. Which is right? a teaser because that's what you're really focusing on today. Right. Um, but we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. I can't believe we're just now taking a break to thank our sponsors. I've been so lost in this conversation with you. I'm loving it. We're going to come back and talk about uh, the table and then we'll, we'll talk about where you are today. Um, I haven't forgotten about service. Obviously, we're here to talk <laughs> about service too, what you're doing today. I'm loving the conversation. We'll be right back. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit Owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. Most business problems are people problems, people not understanding each other, and the predictive index helps to increase that understanding between others. Hi, I'm Ed Doherty. I am the founder of One Degree Coaching here in Philadelphia. Predictive Index is a talent optimization platform, been around for over 55 years. It helps leaders to build happier, high-performing teams. My name is Eric Cacciatore. I'm the founder and host of Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. As somebody who's gone through the PI process, I can tell you that knowing who you are, knowing who your team is, can help you be far more intentional than you've ever been with your business. If you want to learn more about PI and get to work with Ed, head to Restaurant unstoppable.com slash try PI. If you click the link, sign up for PI, you can create a provisional account. I will set up an opportunity to talk to you directly and read your results and give you a little tour of the platform. See if it works for you. Restaurant unstoppable.com slash try PI. 
we're back. And when we left off last, you were talking about how um, the evolution for you, what, what is growth? For you, it was personal growth. And for, uh, when you went into the table, you wanted to focus on the, the human element of growing people was important to you, giving people that, that opportunity you didn't have when you were getting started. So take it from there. The table um, was my passion project, right? Everything until then had been business and about learning business and growing business and, you know, learning the restaurant world. Uh, The table was actually about following my passions. And I knew at some point I wanted to work with people in more of a give back way, but I didn't know what that looked like then, right? I just knew I wanted to do more with growing people, right? Like I think as a leader, the onus is on us to grow the next set of leaders, Yeah, right? I would say that is your job as the owners. Your job is to develop people and to replace yourself with people so you can grow and scale. Right. So I wanted to build a space that would afford all of that. Um, And uh, like I said, I'd started these relationships with local farmers and the table was like the epitome of that. Um, so everything, everything, I mean, besides limes and lemons and avocados that were not growing in Columbus, you know, everything came from a local farm, uh, urban farmers. Um, it was a, as close to zero waste restaurant as you could be. Um, everything was that was not used to make a dish was turned into a pickle or a garnish or some sort of accoutrement that we could use in another dish. Um, and with that came people, teaching people how to have a more sustainable business, how to cross-utilize product, uh, how to create with what you have. Um, because when you're working with farmers, you might have ordered five cases of sweet potatoes, but what they dropped off is three bunches of kale. Um, There's not really, you can't control the weather, you can't control the harvest, like to that extent. Mother Nature gives you what it's got. Right. And, you know, we also took a lot off the farmers that other people had promised that they would buy and didn't follow through. So we wanted to make sure the farmers weren't wasting product. Uh, So we would wait till the end of the farmer's market and buy up the stuff that, you know, wasn't pretty enough for people to buy. Right. Uh, You're probably getting a discount on that. So uh, to an extent, yes, but we were paid fairly. We didn't take advantage of them as much as we could. Um, And, but it was a great teaching opportunity for our staff. Right. There was a little bit of an overlap because you started the table in 2013. Right. You sold, uh, bodega in 2015 right so was that like uh did you start with the intention to have two restaurants yeah we didn't think that you know i was like i can do this they're like two blocks away from each other we've got this you know and it it was once we opened once i opened the table and uh colin opened seven sun that somehow rumors started spreading that we were going to sell the place so we had shut down Bodega for a few months to do some construction that Renovation. had been yeah. yeah long coming. And the rumor mill picked up on it that we were selling the place. So people started approaching us to buy it. And that was the moment where we were like, not a bad idea. This is probably <laughs> the best thing that could happen. Yeah. We're not going out looking for people. Yeah. So we have a little leverage here. You know, people want to buy the brand. 
it would be silly to let it go and then we can actually focus on our passion projects. Right. Your evolution. Yeah. So it all kind of just timed out perfectly. Okay. I don't think I could have planned that. I think yeah. I would have tried to run both and, and failed. What you described to us with the table was sounds like a very big project, a very hungry project in the sense that it takes a lot of attention and time and energy to develop people. Right. right. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not something, it's not necessarily turnkey. It's a lot of thought that goes into something. Yeah. Like and there was a lot of shifts happening in Columbus then, right? I mean, it was, you know, people have this mindset about fine dining, but I don't think they appreciate what that actually looks like. Um, right. So we got lumped into the fine dining category at the table, which was not what we were trying to do because it was very home style. Right. It's crazy. Like even like charcuterie, a lot of the foods that like it's the scraps. Right. It's the peasant right. food. It's what's left over. So, you know, like everybody gets to eat. But I think what happened over since like the like the 60s to like the 2000s is we got so far away from what food is because everything got commercialized and consumerized. Right. And, you know, um, branded and packaged and yeah, yeah, there was not no real food. Yeah. It was about throughput and, and, you know, total like, you know, providing more for less and, uh, centralizing the food system, you know, right. Feeding and, everybody cheap stuff that made us eventually all right. sick. <laughs> so, yeah. So we were trying to like fight all of those things. Right. And like one shot. So we were curing our own meats and we were putting out charcuterie boards and it was a time when people didn't know the word. So people were scared to order because they didn't want to say charcuterie, right? Like it was the carcucci board <laughs> uh, back then. So, you know, and to make people understand, like we really are nose to tail and yes, that's head cheese and yes, that's, you know, made with the tail or yes, that was made from... You know, organ meats right. and people just, I mean, I You're think people have opened awful? up. Why would you serve it to me? Right. right? <laughs> but it says it in the word. It says awful. Uh, so it was, you know, a lot of education, which I thrive on, you know. So it was like the perfect segue for me into this new world because I got to bring in people that wanted to learn how to cook, but couldn't afford to go to school right. to do that. And most restaurants wouldn't get them give them jobs in their kitchens because they didn't have the experience. For me, it was, you know, the best person to teach is a person that doesn't come with prepackaged knowledge. That was you in 1993. You know, yeah. right, yeah. right. So, so I started teaching. I was like, you know, we had a guy that came in as a dishwasher, and by the time he left was our head baker. He was baking all of our breads for us that we were selling at Whole Foods, you know, and he, all he wanted to do was be a dishwasher. Right. He was like too scared to even like have the next conversation. Right. Um, and that went along with our front of our house team too. We would take them to visit the farms every week. We made sure they understood the product they were working with and why it was important and how to speak to it when a customer challenged them, right? And to learn how to speak to customers, um, that customer service, that hospitality component, you know, where we're part of everybody's lives, right? Like there is nobody that doesn't use the hospitality service at some point, right? It, within their week, right. whether you're going to a restaurant to celebrate, if you're going to the bar because you're going through a divorce or a baby shower or, you know, a funeral or going to stay at a hotel or 
we're we're like it's omnipresent, right? We're so part of you, but we're somehow these ghost warriors that nobody notices, right? And we come from this the customers always right mentality, and to have those conversations in the right manner where you can educate without putting somebody down. I think the biggest mistakes that I have personally made is trying to gloss things over with customers so they don't feel like they made a mistake. In hindsight, had I taken those moments to educate them, maybe I would have turned a few people. Yeah, and that's an experience. And I think people forget that at the end of the day, we're really in the experience economy where we're creating memories and experiences for people. And when you can teach somebody something, and they can associate a new piece of information with you and your organization you're going to be remembered and you're going to create a positive experience. You're not doing it in a way that's like you dummy and this is how you do it. But right. it's like, Oh, did you know? Right. Like this is the story behind awful and that this is actually not fancy food, but like it's, this was like common man food at one point. Like this is like the stuff that, you know, this is how people used to stretch their food before when we didn't have the abundance we have today. Right. You know, and to, you know, to teach people about your local economy, right? Like support your local farmer. It matters. It matters because you're supporting your local economy. You know, like don't don't bleed out the system. Right. In um, well, this is. I think I feel like I'm cutting you short, but I think no. it's important to, that like this is the mission of Restaurant Stoppable. When I say transform, inspire, empower, and transform the industry, because I think in order for the, the world to change. And that's really the, the mission is to change the world through empowering the industry. We have to lift the industry up first so we can turn around and lift up our communities and educate our communities and let them know why it's so important that they need right. to be intentional with their money. Right. You know, and that happens if your staff is empowered enough, right? right? It all ripples out and you have to, you have to have their backs. Yeah. You have to be willing to speak up. And for it all them. starts with you. Right. Yeah. You, you, it has to ripple out from somewhere. The buck literally stops yeah. here. Yeah. Right. And you have to, you have to take, you have to be the leader that teaches people to lead. You have to, you yeah. can't raise a group of followers, you know, and it's beyond service industry, right? It's hospitality. We're providing hospitality and it's how you treat people. And that filters across so it was really important for me to have a place that was not just a safe space for people to grow. Yeah. Um, maybe not everybody wanted to stay in the restaurant world, right? Maybe somebody wants to go into, I don't know, somebody's a drummer or somebody wants to travel. How can I help you get there? But yeah, let yeah. me just give you the space. Of course, you'll have your job when you come back from your wanderlust. You know, it's... It's funny. Like I, I like to say that your, your job is to push people out of your restaurant, is to try to push people out. And what happens when you try to push people out, and what I mean by that is like, what do you want? What are your dreams? What are your, like, what are your ambitions? How can I help? When you, when you try to do that, what ends up happening is they don't end up going anywhere or they take what they want and you create a win-win situation, right? Yeah. Um, it's almost counterintuitive. Yeah, but it is also how you get people to stick around, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a loyalty you create when you're investing in somebody else's dreams. Right. You said hospitality is how you treat people. Can you expound on that? What is like? What is hospitality to you? It is. It is the kindness in people. It is. I mean, there's a reason the word hospitality is applicable to hospitals. Yeah. And to the service industry, right? Because you are you're giving a service where you're elevating another person. Right. And their experience in that moment, whether they're in a hospital bed or 
at a fancy restaurant, right? You're elevating their experience in that time. You're making them comfortable. You're taking care of them. Yeah. Um, and that, that to me is hospitality, yeah. where you're putting their needs above your own in that moment. Yeah. And that is hospitality. Have you ever taken the time to look at the synonyms of hospitality? No. It's fun. It's words like uh, warmth, generosity, conveniality. And like right. It give, it's literally Kindness. Just giving it's of giving. Yourself. It's giving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The one way I like to think about it is if you feel inconvenienced to do something for somebody, if, if doing something for somebody is going to inconvenience you, that's, that's the, that's the clue, the hint to lean into the inconvenience, because if it's an inconvenience for you, it's a convenience for somebody else and you're sacrificing for the benefit of somebody else. Right. That's hospitality. Right. Yeah. My, like I, I don't, I've never and heard it described like that. But that is what we need to professionalize, right? Yeah. Like that is what we need people to understand. Yeah. Um, in both ways, that hospitality needs to come from the customer too. Mm. It can't be one-sided, right? Like when I give, I want you to like give back a little bit, you know? I don't expect you to like stand up and serve me my glass of water, right. but I expect you to just show me some kindness. Well, that's the law of res- 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 for me. <laughs> reciprocity. It's the big words that I always get. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so... And it's true. And I think that that's what ends up happening. It's, it's quid pro quo. I can say yeah. that one. You know, what, what goes job. around comes around. <laughs> uh, and there's truth to that. But you can't, you can't track it. You just, have no. to, you just have to believe that it's human in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any downsides to what you were chasing with the table in terms of this hands-on, really investing in people? What were the challenges associated with that? So when you're doing something like that, you're... It, it it just takes a toll on you because you absorb so much of what people are bringing to what you. What was your struggle? Um, I think for me, I always felt like I wasn't doing enough. There was more. There was more I could do for people. And I didn't know where that line was. You know, I didn't know how much I'm supposed to like take over a person's life and run with it or, you know, where to pull back. Um, I think it, Times I tended to forget that it was still a business that I was running because I got so passionate about developing people and teaching people, staff and customers alike, that at times I tended to forget that I still had to make money to keep doing this, right? And I didn't think twice about digging into my pocket to take care of things like so-and-so needs help. They have bills to pay. I never thought twice about loaning money to employees. Um, I was very lucky that I never got burned on that, but I could have very easily had people not return money, right? Um, but it, it just came naturally, and I forgot I was running a business. Yeah. I mean, we do need money for security. At the end of the day, we need to protect ourselves, and, and, that, and that comes today in the form of cash flow, right? Right. Like investing in insurance or, you know, a safe environment or whatever it is to provide yourself security. I think you can also get security in relationships. And if you give to people and, you know, when it when it comes time for you to need a little help, the people that remember, people will remember you. Like if you're willing to give, like you can get security in your relationships, but that only lasts for so long. Yeah. And I don't think your legacy is comes in the form of like the name of your restaurant right the table wasn't my legacy bodega isn't my legacy it's the people that came out of that that are going to go on to do the work 
Exactly. That's the legacy. And that's why the focus on this podcast is the people behind the restaurants, not the restaurants. Right. Yeah. You know, and, but it, you know, it is at the end of the day, like I did have a partner and maybe this wasn't the best scenario for her because she was trying to run a business. Right. And here I was just like, it's about the people yeah. and I'm going to raise the next generations. And I'm, you know, <laughs> I want to give people a chance that I didn't have. And she's like, cool, let's make some money, you know? And I was like, why are you so focused on the money? Like this is, you know, we're going to change the world with this. Yeah. And it's funny that balance between fiscal responsibility and doing the right thing. Right. 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 Yeah. You know? And so I, I think I got caught up in a lot of that and, would I do it differently? I don't know. Like, yeah. I think the joy I got out of that and, you know, the relationships I formed from that and the feedback I got from that um, was enough for me. I will say if that is your focus, if, generally speaking, if you're listening to this and that is your focus and this is your focus, you will die happier, I think, personally. Like, at the end of the day, like... like Broke, but... Yeah, but like, <laughs> no matter how much money you have, yeah. you're still gonna die. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, this is a short trip that we're on, you know? And how we, like you said, legacy isn't, like, we're gonna be buried with all of our things, you right. know? Like, is it gonna... Are we gonna have any regrets at the end of the day? And if, if we live to... If we exist to serve and to lift up other people, odds are, when you reflect back at your life in those last few days, you're gonna be like did all right you yeah know? i mean your net worth is your network yeah, right yeah. and so who are those people around you like yeah. that's that's my value right so 2020 rolls around i see that the table which was co-founded you said it was a collective so how many owners were there no it was a co it was co-founded there was just two of us okay. yeah 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 um what was it the pandemic that right so you know Turn on the news. Restaurants yeah. shut down. Right, it's happening and all across the, types the country. Of restaurants that you were executing that really took it hard. Right, right. Because so we sustained for a while. We did the carry out. We had product. Right. I mean, obviously, we cured our own meats. We had preserves. We had you know we had stock of things. So we ran a limited menu for a while. We did the carry outs. Uh, then we realized people needed more than just food. It was the toilet paper and the sanitizer and all of those things, which restaurants still had access to, right? Because I could still call my purveyors and get cases of toilet paper or sani tabs or gloves. Yeah. All, um, the, all the doomsday people couldn't get their hands on that. Right. Stuff. So then we started providing those to the neighbors and our regulars. We just had a full grocery list on our website. Like, here's the stuff you can pick up. I mean, we made sure all of our employees were staffed and uh, I mean, sorry, fed and had whatever they needed so they could come by weekly and just pick up a pack. We didn't charge them for anything. Um, but it was kind of, you know, I think for most people, the rug got pulled out from under them, right? We didn't, whoever thought that day would come where right. suddenly it's just like, guess what? You're, we're shutting down your business. We don't know when you'll reopen. We don't know what that will look like. Yeah, and I don't, here you go. You didn't identify as fine dining, but you, the level of, um, I would say, the kind of food you were doing isn't the kind of food like that translates to digital, the digital right. world. Like, I feel like digital eating is very habitual in the sense of like 
I'm like if I'm ordering out, like I know what I want and I know who I'm going to to get it. Whereas you were sounding like you had a new meal every week, pretty like, much, depending yeah. on what was available to you. So pretty much, how do you plan for that? Right, like, and also we only worked with farmers, right? Right, so farmers weren't able to make their deliveries. Farmers were short on labor, so they couldn't even harvest. Right, right? butchers weren't able to break down carcasses fast enough. So I mean, everything was backlogged yeah. and. All our stakeholders were affected. So there wasn't a product we could put out without dumbing down our concept, right? Maybe like, okay, I can start ordering food from GFS or Cisco or whoever it is, but then is it the table? You know, then I've also put my farmers in a worse position because I have outsourced my money. And I just wasn't willing to go down that path. If it doesn't feel right, if it's not making you happy, then why? Continue? Right. It just wasn't. It wasn't for the table. Um, it wasn't for me. I wasn't willing to sacrifice all of that. I think that self awareness um, is really important because then you just become a slave to the business. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was the next steps. Next steps. What do we do? We were really lucky to have an amazing landlord who worked with us and. Again, you know, once you've formed this network of people, once you've shared hospitality with them, you know, they give back when time comes. Weird how that works, right? huh? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. People give back. Um, so we were lucky that everybody kind of just gave us some grace and time to figure things out. And it took a while to make that decision because, again, there's a partnership, right? Like we both didn't have the same goals, I wanted to sell to her. It was still a business that could bounce back. And so there was like a fraught moment between us and we've been friends for years. So it kind of took a toll on our friendship for yeah. a while too. And I don't want to pry too hard here because I know that there is personal things. You of know, course. And, but I think that this is one of the things that isn't discussed enough is this the, the, you know, I don't believe you can do it alone. Honestly speaking, there are a few freaks of nature out there who can pull it off, but the majority of us aren't one a freak of nature or two willing to live that lifestyle where you have to do everything. So you have to depend on partners. So right. what, what, what can you share with us about, um, you know, how to be in a partnership, especially with somebody who's a friend, like, like, can you expound on that? It is. I mean, I think you have to take it as you would a marriage, right? Like you have to get your pieces in place you have to think it through you you're not just in a regular marriage you're in you're like in a kim kardashian kanye west marriage right where there's like a lot a lot a lot of drama there's a lot of stuff in between you know so when that divorce happens what does it look like how do you split things up you know and i think you have to go in there with a prenup of sorts right like meet with a lawyer get partnership agreement right get your yeah. paperwork worked out have you know if it's just the two of you make sure there's a tiebreaker somewhere a third person that you both trust that or a lawyer or you know whoever it is outsource a third person that can be that tiebreaker when you're both just going in different directions uh, I know it sounds crude and I know it's like a harsh thing to start a relationship with because you know most of us in our marriages don't go talk to our husbands and go hey so this prenup, you know, right. uh, those are difficult conversations. But when you have so much at stake, 
they're important conversations to make it easier in the long run. It helps you go into the relationship more intentional and, and also understanding. So beyond that, like partnership agreement, but like, what is the hierarchy look like? Who, like, what are all the, 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 the responsibilities that this restaurant is going to like demand of us and who's responsible for those responsibilities? Write your name and, next to them. So right. there's clarity on who's responsible for what. So when things aren't getting done, you, you can hold somebody accountable. Exactly. And I think those things are really important. And I think we touched on it earlier. Know your lane and make sure it's very visible, you know, so you know when to lean on each other. And that doesn't mean like, oh, well, she's in charge of ordering beers and it didn't get ordered. So, you know, I'm not going to touch it. You know, there are going to be times where you need each other where, hey, you know, I'm overwhelmed this week. Can you take on this project or this event is too big for me. Can you help me out with that? Again, those are like, it's open communication communication is huge, right? Um, Transparency is huge. Like we don't have to pretend like we have everything under control all the time. I think it's okay to have the conversations when you're having a tough time, you know, and it makes things easier in the long run. For sure. Because, yeah, like getting it out. And like, and that's what the lawyer does. It helps you, they help you think of what you're not considering. So when that inevitably does come, there's a plan in place. Right. And you, you get aligned. It's, it's just alignment. It's just, it's just communicating and, and achieving alignment so you can go the long haul. And, and what, no partnership is perfect, right? right? You're not going to agree on everything. Right. I mean, the reason you're friends with most people is because they fill a void in you that you don't have. Right. right. Like there's something that you don't possess that they provide for you. Right. And that comes with friendships, that comes in relationships, that comes, you know, in business partnerships. There's, you've chosen this person because they can do something better than you. Right. Um, we have to talk about service. So 2020. Yes. yes. Uh, you, you part ways with your partner at the table. So, well, that was still like ongoing because we were still looking for a buyer that wasn't going to take advantage of the fact that it was COVID and, you know, uh, underbid. So we were, again, lucky enough that we were working with a landlord that was willing to give us time and space to figure that out. Um, And we took our time finding the right buyers, too. Um, And meanwhile... So uh, about a week after restaurants shut down, you know, uh, we were all going down the social media rabbit hole because nobody else had anything better to do. And I'd already finished most of the wine that we'd stocked up at the restaurant. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, uh, I needed something to do. And I saw this chatter online from a couple of local chefs, uh, one of them being Matthew Haggins, who owns Preston's Burgers. Um, and he was talking about like, oh, we have to do something. Like I just laid off all these employees. Like, what do we do? What do we do? And so I was like, well, nobody's really responding. Everybody wants somebody else to do something, right? Everybody cares. And everybody's here wringing their hands and waiting for somebody else to do something. I was like, hey, Matt, why don't we just do a thing? Whatever it is, whatever that looks like, right? Like, let's take that first step. So Matt has a, a partner also, Letha Pugh, who owns Bake Me Happy. All these plugs. Um, <laughs> if you love gluten-free treats, go oh, to Bake Me Happy. I if have you, a gluten intolerance that so, I developed oh, Bake recently. Me Happy. I think it was the pandemic. I started learning. I started baking. And it wasn't the pandemic that got me interested in baking, for the record. I started just before the pandemic. I wasn't one of those people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I was literally mm-hmm. like living off sourdough. <laughs> like it was all I ate. And I think my body just like was like enough. Shut down. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, can't, I can't, I can, but like gluten-free stuff is 
seems to be the way to go for me lately. Well, anyway, now, you know where to go. now you know where to go. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, <laughs> so you, you decided so to be the solution. So we started having this conversation uh, about what do we do? What does this look like? Well, Matt and I are chefs. We know how to cook, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So we were like, let's start cooking. So we reached out to the people that we knew in our community. We reached out to Washerstrom, which is a restaurant supply store locally owned, uh, we reached out to the people at Cover My Meds. We reached out to ECDI, which is a bank that does economic development microloans. And they have a commercial kitchen space. Uh, it's where food trucks go to cook. Of course, food trucks weren't cooking either, so they had empty space. So we just started making calls like, hey, we have this idea. We want to start cooking for service industry workers. Um, can you give us some space? Can you give us Nobody else pots and pans? Yeah. Right. You know, so Washerstrom was like, come into the store and pick up whatever you need. And they gave us some seed money. Cover My Meds was like, we can't give to the arts right now. And this is an art form. So they gave us a check. Um, so people just came together. We had web designers that popped up and like, hey, why don't we build you a website? And literally the community just came together to like support us in this like mad thing that we wanted to do right like let's start cooking so matt and i went into the kitchen we brought along um some of the cooks that have worked for us that didn't have their papers sorted out uh some immigrants and they came to work for us so we were able to pay them and we put they couldn't out, go to the state to they couldn't do the anything right um I mean, they were paying taxes, but they couldn't actually get anything back. Um, So we employed them and started cooking about 200 meals a day. We set up a system. We had three pickup locations. People could go online and pick their location and how many meals they wanted. And we had to do the, you know. I bet it was damn good, too. So Right. They were (laughs) chef-driven meals. You know, they weren't like casseroles and like whatever cafeteria stuff they were actually thought out meals because we were still in the creative mode right you're still a chef a chef's gonna chef right so we and you know restaurants that weren't using their products started dropping off things to us so we were kind of like just bouncing off what people would drop off like oh we have all of these noodles today i guess we're making a pad thai or you know so um we started cooking and we were putting out 200 meals a day people would come pick their meals up. Uh, it was for service industry people. We didn't really check. I mean, if somebody was hungry and needed to pick up a meal, we weren't going to be like, well, you didn't work in a restaurant, right. so pack it up. Um, people picked up meals for their neighbors or you know whoever they needed to help. And that was the first eight weeks of the pandemic for us. And that was under the umbrella of service, which at that point was just supposed to be a food relief for the short term. Great name, by the way, too. I love it. Right? Serving those who serve. I love it. Uh, and it's your call to service, right? I That's love that. yeah. I love that. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about what service is today and where it's going and where the industry is headed. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. 
Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. If you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try tater cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package. From the freezer to the fryer to your guests, tater cakes comes in a variety of flavors, including bacon, cheddar, chive, buffalo chicken, bacon, jalapeno, and more. And I got to hone in a little bit deeper here on this deliciousness. Bacon, cheddar, chive features creamy cheddar cheese, big bacon bites, sour cream and a hint of chives and of course crispy crunchy potatoes mm, sign me up for that you can serve them in a variety of different ways and in many different applications great for dining delivery and to go with all the uncertainties in the world today we should be certain that our food always has great flavor and tater cakes provides that comfort in every bite request samples at tatercakes.com that's t-a-t-e-r-k-e-g-s.com tatercakes.com we're back and what is service today? So service is a relief effort for hospitality workers. And we aim to, um, through education, training, providing resources, help people out of financial insecurity in this industry. Um, it looks like a lot of different things. We provide a lot of wraparound services, um, housing transportation, childcare, working on how to get people healthcare benefits. Um, there's a lot of layers to what service looks like today. So it's in my mind, it's almost like ending the cycle, right? I feel like a lot of people are drone or drawn to the hospitality industry because we take everybody in, you know, like we, we will take everybody in, but how do you, elevate those people once they're with you so that they, they can have other options if they choose to have other options, right? They, they have the resources. So they're not every dollar they're making is going to rent. So they can't get out of their situation. Right. You know? So, um, you said training, housing, childcare, what, what is the specific financial training? Like, what does that look like? So the training, I mean, multi-layered, right? Training, training looks like actually training somebody on using the latest equipment, uh, working on different recipes. What do different sauces look like? What you know? So like, it's like culinary training. Yeah. It is also training with 
what's out there for you and how do I fight for it? What do you mean by you that? You know, um, how do I go get a job and speak up for the fact that this is an unfair wage or that I'm not willing to work the 80 hours a week? Training or, people how to fight for themselves. Right. And so empowering people to yeah. speak up. Right. Right. But how do you speak up if you don't know what is rightfully yours? So service is to employee as restaurant unstoppable is to owner. Yes. So we are working from the bottom up because as much as, you know, the rest of the world, the rest of industry works from the top down, that rarely trickles down all the way yeah. to the people that the actual foot soldiers, right? Yeah. So we're working this with them and hopefully that trickles upwards. This is huge and this is why I think it's huge because if we're going to transform the industry, there's there's going to be that a-hole restaurant owner out there who's going to cut the corners to exploit people. No matter what the people on the other side of the spectrum are doing to transform the industry, there's always going to be that person who's trying to get an edge, who's trying to cut the corners, who's trying to to get to win. They're they're cons- they're consumed with winning at the expense Any of everybody cost. else. You know, the psychopaths of the world. Yeah. Right? Um, and we need to empower the next generation of employees to know when they're being dealt Taking with a psycho yeah right like, so we need to we need to educate people we right. need to lift them up that's the only way we're going to raise the bar and transform the industry and for you know this is an antiquated industry and it is you know to your point the only industry where we'll take on anybody you have to have zero skill to go work in a restaurant right there's always a position dishwasher busser bar back like there is always a position you can fill in a restaurant with zero education i don't care what your background is you know but when you're dealing with that demographic, it is also very easy to take advantage of them because it's a desperate community and they're not getting paid enough and they're working long hours and it's usually a second or third job or, you know, a huge immigrant population in the restaurant and in the hospitality industry, hotels, convention centers, that's all part of the hospitality industry, right? Huge immigrant population, so language barriers, not really knowing what your rights are. So there is a lot of there is a lot of room for being taken advantage of. Right. There is, you know, of course you'll work for ten dollars an hour because what's your other option? Right. You don't speak the language. There's a lot of owners that are willing to look the other way when it comes to paperwork too. Right. So it's like the only refugee for some people. Right. You know. So it, it and there's you know there's not a voice for those people. Right. There's nobody that's fighting for them. They're just kind of left to their own resources, but they're the ones that build us up. They're the ones that brought us to this place, right? right? So somebody has to somebody has to speak up. Somebody has to lead that. You're doing it right now. Not loud enough. (laughs) Um, I love it though, um, and it's a great message. And it is, you know, I think a lot of this was brought to surface during COVID. Right? We realized how much restaurants were needed. Grocery stores couldn't fill everybody's needs. You know, restaurants were asked to open up immediately to start serving people food again, right? It, it, the social aspect of things, we realized that we're not creatures that can be locked up. Yeah. We needed that social aspect. And it was huge. And it suddenly became this conversation. Everybody in the media was talking about like, oh, restaurant workers and they're essential workers. But we didn't afford them any of the benefits of being essential workers. Like, we just threw that term around. Right. Right? Then nobody came to pick up the pieces and go, "This, let's rebuild you. Right. Let's change the system. Yeah. Like, as soon as 
But here's the thing I've learned, if anything, is change doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Right. Just like if you're going to transform a community, it's going to start from a person transforming the people that are closest to them, and it just ripples out from there. If we're going to change the industry, it comes from people like you saying who ripple out and influence others, lift, like lifting other owners up, being an example of what we can do. And that's the only way is from the inside out. And I think that, and frankly speaking, and I know how hard it was. Don't get me wrong. I know how hard it was for restaurant owners during the pandemic, yeah. but there was a lot of finger pointing. A lot of people saying this isn't fair. Like we need to change. We put ourselves in that position. Right. We are the only ones to, to blame. blame. Right. We, we lowered the bar on ourselves because we were at competition with each other for the longest time. Right. And then the only way we're going to get around this is say, hey, we go further together. We share information. We lift each other up. We raise the bar. And over time, it changes. But like, and I mean, I don't know if I have to say anything else because I don't <laughs> want to dwell too much on that, but it's happening. You're seeing it happen. And it is. That's yeah. what it is, right? We undercut each other on prices. Like, oh, he's selling his hamburger for $15. I'm going to sell mine for $12. nobody was doing menu engineering. They're going, right. well, what do I need to, to charge to get people in the door? And, oh, there's nothing left for me? How did that happen? Right. And that's, <laughs> you know. Because of you. <laughs> the hindsight, yeah. I wish I'd learned business right. first, right? Yeah. I'd Full wish circle. I'd, right. And, it's, and to see this happening and people still not making the changes is shocking to me, right? Because, I mean, yes, to your point, never underestimate a small team of people and the changes they can make in the world. You because don't know all don't changes know. come from a small yeah. place. Yeah. But, but the restaurant industry needs to come together. These changes need to be made. We're living in such an antiquated system. Like, the whole world has changed. Prices have gone up. People know their rights a little bit more. People are more educated thanks to internet, TikTok videos, whatever it is, right? Like people understand their place in life a little bit more and are willing to speak up a little bit more. And if they're not, there's always somebody else with a camera that's right. willing to, yeah, it's willing to more, blast it. Yeah, more and more difficult to be a sketchball today. So you can get discovered. So then to stay stuck in that same rut of low wages, low prices, no benefits, you know, it's... We have to break that cycle. Right. And it's easier said than done, right? Because you can't just tell somebody to change. You have to show them how to change, right? right? You have to show them a model that works and go, a picture. This, this is what it looks like, and this is how you can get there. Now, are you going to be able to make those changes right. overnight? Right. No. I love but the, you have to take that step. Yeah, and I love the example Rudy Mick gave me about uh, a restaurant owner's job is to give their team the picture of perfection of what the job done right looks like so they have an aiming point of what's achievable but that needs to spill over into the, the bigger picture of what does your life look right when done right and then you help them understand what the aiming point is for their life and what they can do so the the, the cycle ends and the thing that i get really excited about is the restaurant industry and that like i like to echo the mission statement as much as possible that's why we have them right yeah, Visions yeah, yeah. And missions is to change the world by transforming the restaurant industry by through these inspirational stories and empowerment and, and but what I love is that the restaurant industry literally has the power to change the world because we are the entry, like we are the entry point for so, so many people, whether mm -hmm. they're an immigrant or their first job as an, an adult. And if we raise the bar on expectations and set a high standard from the very beginning, you it's only going to go up. You change the world. Yeah. And I think it's, we, we need to understand the power we have. Second largest industry in the world right. behind healthcare. We have the power. The power. 
only if we communicate, only if we lift each other But we up. can't do this in isolation, yeah. right? Every restaurant can't fight for this alone. We need to actually come together and have these conversations. And, and that comes with transparency, right? Like you have to be willing to talk about your failures, your successes. You have to be willing to talk about where you need help so we can help each other. But to try to like do all of this alone is impossible. So what does it look like? If we're listening to this, shaking our heads like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like me too. I want to, I want to contribute to the, the, the change that we we're, we're capable of making. Like how do we do what you're doing? What paint that picture of what you're doing done right looks like. So what we, what we have, what we're focusing on right now is the education piece, right? And that's for restaurant owners and for employees. And it is about how to, how to listen, most importantly, how to be honest and have these conversations. If you are still struggling as a small restaurant, you should be having these conversations with your employees so they understand your struggles. So they also can turn around and help you because then they're more focused on, oh, maybe, you know, labor costs have really gone up and maybe we should be more aware of how much time we're spending on this task. Do two of us really need to be here to do one person's job? Because then that employee is not just walking away with more tips at the end of the day, but he has also helped you cut your labor, right? Hey, we're throwing away all of this food. Let's be more aware of food costs so that we can get the raise that we want. So he's not just spending it on food that we're flushing down the toilet. There's such small steps you can take to make changes. Yes, maybe you can't afford to pay everybody $15 an hour right now, but start having those conversations. You know, where can we... How can we do that? Right. Like, okay, this, this is how much more money we need to make next month to be able to give two people this raise. So how do we get there? You know, I think an important thing too, and this is where it gets a little controversial, is like, what does it take to do that today? And the answer is going to come, there's one answer. It's, well, there's a bunch, a bunch of things you can do. You can, you can change, you can be more efficient with what you're already doing, but you can also ask for what you deserve to, to reverse engineer that right. number. You can start charging more. And I know that a lot of people go, well, then my customers won't come in and like things are already getting to, I would argue the society is spending money on things that aren't as important. So that is the, the biggest <laughs> conversation right yeah. now, right? I mean, we're working with menu pricing that's 10 years behind. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of pricing should have gone up like just systematically over the years. And now we're trying to catch up and suddenly be like, oh, we need to raise prices by 18%. We need to raise prices by 20%. Now, of course, that's a shock to the community. Right. You know, but, but there is. Some people can't afford that. Yeah. Right. But people who work in restaurants who are going to get paid more. Right. But there is a way to do that, (laughs) right? Now, if we came together, if, say, local restaurants came together and put it out, educated their customers, put out an editorial and be like, hey, here's what's happened in the world the last couple of years. This is how much prices need to go up for us to sustain our restaurants. The reason you moved into this neighborhood was because there were a ton of restaurants here, right? So now sustain those restaurants. Otherwise, you're living in this neighborhood with no restaurants. Right. For us to raise the prices, we're going to break it down, say, over the year, we're going to do slight increments and raise prices by 5% or 8% or whatever it is. And then be transparent. Like, you know, 
this is the hamburger. The hamburger doesn't exist of just like the toppings that are inside it or the fillings. It is also utilities. It's also a paycheck. It's also benefits. It's also rent. Like, yeah. And here's the thing for the consumer. Like, and I don't know where you fall politically. I'm pretty middle of the road. I like to consider myself a yeah. moderate. I see pros and cons to both sides. Yeah. But I do like this idea that I, I, I rather have the choice to make a difference and do the right thing than being forced to do the right thing. And when people are forced to do something, they generally aren't as well receptive of it. And I think that we are in the ability. Here's the other thing. And if you lean left, like this is like, I've, I'm all for like human rights and all that stuff. But I do think in terms of fiscal responsibility, we can choose to do things that will move them much faster. And if I think culture has the chance to create, has the ability for exponential change. Culture can change exponentially. And I think it's important for people to understand that if there's a choice, if there's a cultural shift, things can happen much faster. Whereas if the government uses systems and processes to force things that happen, there tends to be resistance. People don't like to be told what to do. You can, but if you inspire people to do the right thing and you help them understand that when you do the right thing, holy shit, you feel great. Right, you know, it's right. good for you. It's good for everybody. And we can choose to do the right thing and that will happen much faster. And I just believe that. It 100%. 100%. But, you know, that that requires all of the players. Educating. To be educated, yeah. right? And it is, when you go into, well, I mean, probably not you, but when an average consumer goes into a restaurant, they just see the end product, right? They see the dish that was put in front of them. Why does this cost $20? You know, because it's, it's what you want and what you want. But they right, yeah. but they're not looking beyond that end product. Right. They're not looking at what it went into putting that product there. Like the talent, the fact that that chef also has bills to pay and he deserves a certain quality of life. Quality of at life the very or, least security. Right. Or the, you know, the maybe it is a college student that's trying to go to school and you know, be in the position of this lawyer that's sitting at the table enjoying his meal, right? Like that person also deserves a quality of life. Uh, the landlord's needs also have to be met. The farmer deserves to get paid fairly for the food he is growing. He also has a family to support. I mean, there has to be there has to be a deeper understanding, and that doesn't just happen. In isolation, that happens through communication. So, if we want to recreate what you've done here, like it, is service something you're trying to scale? Are you building systems around what you're doing so other people can take the the job done right look like from a service perspective and implement it in their community? Like, what's the future of this? Yes, yes, we want to a, involve as many people in the industry from all all aspects of the industry. Right, the industry doesn't just look like restaurants. There's so much more to hospitality. Um, have the conversations, bring up the biggest sticking points right now, like, you know, raising prices, fair wages, uh, healthcare, uh, tipping or no tipping, whatever that, you know, different can of worms, but have, I'm just saying. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, do we not want to open that We're one? not going to go into that right now at all. <laughs> well, I, I think, think you actually mentioned something on, on uh, when I got the message, when you got the, the original message from you was that you could speak to a smart approach to the minimum wage conversation. Is that right? Tied to? And I, yeah, I can talk to you about minimum wage. You I mean, know? I haven't talked about oh. diversity either, which is, I know something that right. is on your radar. So. Um, 
Don't don't let me hold you back. So I don't know. Okay, well we're gonna jump all over the place. Oh, sorry, this, right? I'm, all, uh, I'm, I'm doing that to you. So we're gonna let's, talk about let's talk about the wages. The wages, yeah. right? So wages should have gone up, right? Years ago, we're years behind in raising wages. Uh, nobody to the point where the government's forcing people to do it. Right, which just blows my mind. Which is crazy right. because I, I get it. Yes, it has to happen. But to just say that hey, raise your wages and not have an infrastructure in place to help you raise your wages, I think it's crazy. I think, you know, local government needs to support small businesses and how do you raise your wages? How do we subsidize something that you're doing? Is it a subsidy with your uh, landlord that takes, you know, gives you a little more money in your pocket so then you can raise wages? Uh, is it Chicago, I think, put together... Um, a fund that the city is putting together to help subsidize small restaurant owners in helping them raise wages. So maybe, you know... You can't just drop a hammer and expect it to happen overnight. Right. Because change takes time. There has to be support. It has to ramp up. There has to be support. And that support doesn't just come from the restaurant owners or restaurant workers or the consumer that's now going to pay 18% more for the burgers. It comes from... Legislative change, right? It comes from local government. It comes from federal government. Like, put structures in place so people can afford to pay more. Give us a break somewhere. You know, rent can't keep going up. Utilities can't keep going up. Food prices can't keep going up. And then you tell us, like, oh, also, I know you're still in debt from COVID, but pay people more. Right. Oh, I don't know about you, but... This month, my uh, SBA loan is is due. Right. <laughs> As of December. Right. You know. Like, um, I'm going to have a $500 a month bill on top of... I mean, that's just me, but I'm assuming restaurant owners are probably on that same page. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And page. how... Do, because they are still in debt from COVID, right? right? There was... Yeah. Like, you, we got some help, but like... But that's not enough we've help. We've got to pay back on that. Right. And I think this is the impending recession that everyone's talking about is what happens when everybody has, has to pay back that loan. So, yeah, so minimum wage, yes, absolutely needs to go up. Yeah. But it doesn't happen by just telling people to do it. You know, there has to be there has to be some structures in place for it and has to be something you can ease into. Not Because you're also giving employees the wrong message, right? That you can march in and ask for $18 an hour now. Like, oh, I'm not going to work here if you won't give me $18 an hour. Well, can I chime in there real yeah. quick? Because I think something that's been coming up a lot within the communities I'm in and on the show is I think there's there's a, a an approach to getting a raise. And um, Prakash Karam Chandani is somebody who's based in Ohio uh, with Balance Grill. Um, and he's a perfect example. But it's this idea of um, building tangible framing of growth in your organization. So you come in at 15 bucks an hour. You want 18 bucks an hour? Okay. Here's what you do to do it. Like, here's how you get 18 bucks an hour. You go through this training with this curriculum that I've built so you can become qualified and you have these new responsibilities and these new skills that will earn you 18 bucks an hour. And guess what? You do that on your own time so that you, if you want to raise tomorrow, you get to work. Right. Start learning. Start training. So that is what service does. We have a curriculum in place that employees need to go through. Tangible framing for growth. Right. So that when they leave our program, they are better situated to go get that job that will pay them $18 an hour. Yeah. Not just because I deserve it. Right. 
you know, I mean, owners deserve. You don't want to. You don't want to ask me what I think I deserve. It's a two way street. You know, you know right. they also deserve the person that's right. ca- capable of demanding that. But that goes back to our conversation about open books, yeah. about transparency. Because when you look at a restaurant owner, you just think that they live this glamorous lifestyle, which is why so many people think it's easy to open a restaurant, right? Like, oh. I love going to restaurants. Me and my friends are going to open a restaurant someday. Like, what does that even mean? Like, right. Please go home. Stay yeah. in your lane. If, if, you, if you like dinner parties, then stick to the dinner parties. Right. You know, let same. me let me do what I'm good at. You do what you're good at. Like, you know, stay yeah. a lawyer. Uh, but education, right? Like, not we deal with a very diverse population in the restaurant industry, mostly immigrants, a lot. I think the highest rate of employees is women, especially single mothers. Uh, People of color is the higher demographic within restaurant industries, again, because you don't need an education to go into this industry. You don't need particular skills. Uh, They're all skills that can be taught. So we take in people from everywhere. But then we're not professionalizing the industry. Then we're not giving them the tools to grow so that they can show up as managers at the Hilton's, Hyatt's, whatever it is, right? We're not, they don't walk into the fine dining restaurants and see themselves mirrored in in upper management. And that's because they weren't given the professionalism. They weren't given the education. I don't know a lot about this, but I I do have a, 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 I think a, a minimal understanding of the idea of the school system that exists today started it wasn't in like I think it started in like Oxford or something like that England the the, the school system mm-hmm. as we know it today oh okay um, but in America it was industrialized I don't know exactly when but the the school the system as we know it today was designed to crank out employees it was to put the burden on the I think on the public system, like you know, the government to educate people to crank out employees. They didn't want more owners. They wanted to be able to hire employees. Right. Um, I don't know where I was going with this train of thought. What were you talking about? Diversity. Diversity. Yeah. And and a lack of education and professionalizing. Okay. I think I'm coming full circle now. So I think that some of that responsibility almost has to go back on the owner again, where like we, if if you if you open a business, if you're a business owner, you have a, a moral obligation to make people better people. You know whether that be how to do their job better or how to to like you know exist in this world. Right. You know like, and I think a lot of that pressure was put on the school system. But the thing is, they they aren't trying to. I don't know. I feel like the, the our our ancestors kind of got it wrong a little bit. Where it was just like, hey, we're just trying to crank out employees. We're just trying to be cogs in the wheel but like humans aren't cogs in a wheel you know like yeah and a lot of it does fall on restaurant owners but as you know restaurant owners not just restaurant owners but like business owners business owners right you know uh, but they don't always have the capability right they don't have the resources they don't have the extra i think that's what it came down to is they didn't want to put their resources into developing right and that's 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 something that i mean you can't again you can't force people to think a certain way or feel a certain way, all you can do is lead by example, right? If we create a better industry, if we empower people from the ground up to ask for a better environment to work in, then maybe that shift starts happening with business owners, right? Because, oh, wait, why am I not getting any employees? Why are people not sticking around? Like that place down the street is always packed and 
their employees seem to stick around for years. What are they doing different? I right. think we need better role models that are more vocal. You don't have to convince me of that. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, yeah. and it is like, again, open conversation. And it's a lot of it falls on the public too to to fight for people's rights, right? Yeah. If you go into a restaurant where you see the employees are being treated unfairly, do something about it. Right. Speak up. I do want to make sure it's crystal clear that if we're listening to this right now and we want to, where you've inspired us to speak up and to do something about it and we're interested in adopting your model, service model, what, what's the next step? What's that look like? How do we take service into our city? Is that um, an option? Uh, where still babies in this and we have a lot of learning and growing to do we're on the path we are about to open a service innovation kitchen where you can actually see how all of this works we used cafe overlook which is at the franklin county courthouse as our pilot program on this workforce development piece to see how we can actually scale this at Cafe Overlook, we have a case manager on site to help us work through any barriers that people might have to go back into the labor force, right? So whether it's housing needs, transportation, child care, uh, uniforms, um, health care, just basic mental health or having a person to talk to. Um, we take people through this curriculum of how to grow in this field and then we connect them with other restaurants or hotels around town. And then we follow them through for another six months to make sure that they're living up to their end of the bargain, but also the restaurant owner is living up to their end of the bargain. With Service 2.0, the Service Innovation Kitchen, the space will be split into two halves. One half will be a workforce development program, but for existing service industry members. You've been a line cook for five years. You don't know how to move up that ladder. Come, go through the program with us, and we will give you the skills required to become a sous chef. You've been a bartender for 10 years, and you don't know what next. Come, go through the program. Let's develop, and maybe you become a food and beverage manager. Maybe you want to become a sommelier, and we get you know yeah. get you there. So it is about giving people a space to work and grow and teaching them the skills without them having to spend money on a school, right? So that will be one part of it. The other part of it is for restaurants that are ready to go with their concepts, we'll give them a space for about three months at a time where we can help them develop the final stages of their business. So we can teach them about food costs, labor costs, look at their menu, look at their concept and point out the things that are not working or working or what the pieces that they're still missing. So when they do go open the restaurant, not only are they going in with like a great plan, um, they're also going in with staff that they've worked with at the Service Innovation Kitchen, but then they also have clients that came into their restaurant for the last three months and are excited about them opening their own brick and right. mortar. And I would encourage you and anybody listening to this to go beyond empowering them how to be a better employee, but how do you teach these people how to become owners? Right. Right. And, and I would encourage anybody who's listening to this to listen to the episodes I did with uh, Ray Villeman 
from the Tahoe restaurant group who lets his employees buy equity in his business at like a point. Like you might not be able to buy the restaurant for a million dollars, but you might be able to come up with $10,000 to buy a percentage. And then as you increase your cash flow, you can buy more equity in the business. And eventually that's the infinity game. How does this restaurant live beyond me? You know, right. like how do we create that? Like maybe it's an ESOP, an employee stock ownership program. Maybe it's shared equity. Maybe there's a million different business models that that we can create awareness about, so we can create an industry of owners. You know, like and, and spread out right. that wealth. Um, that's what I see. That's the that's the transformation I want to see in the industry. Yeah, because everybody has a dream. Everyone yeah. working walking into that restaurant for a job has a dream. Right. You know. They're looking at you. They're emulating you. They also might want a restaurant. And the onus is on us to get them there, right? Because what are you doing? I mean, yeah, you can cook a great meal, and your restaurant might be a beautiful space, but what is the end product? Those are the employees, right? That's that's what changes the culture. Yeah. And it is on us so to do that. So what's the call to action? Like, What's the email that we go to? So servicerelief.org, obviously go there, you know, if you want to just take, take the simple route of just donating or volunteering, you know, that's, it starts there, but advocate for your restaurant workers, go into restaurants, support them, try to understand fair food pricing, try to understand why benefits are important. And if you see that 3% charge at the bottom of your receipt for employee benefits, appreciate that tack on the three percent but don't take away from their tips because that's not like tip money that is going into their pockets um simple things like you know credit cards try to understand how credit cards work and how much those impact restaurants because when you add a tip on a credit card the restaurant owner is paying an income tax on that tip that you're adding on there all of those things affect the profitability Profit. There I go. See, um, I've hey, got your disease. Profitability. I got your. Thank back, you. Sister. <laughs> uh, you know, um, a fight for ethical practices within restaurants and hotels or the places that you know you support. I mean, I know you want to, like I said earlier, move to neighborhoods that are thriving, right? You want uh, a great nightlife. You want restaurants that are walkable. Well, all, they all need your support, and they need you to advocate for them because we don't do this in isolation. If your local restaurant has raised its prices and you're confused as to why, ask for a manager, have the conversation, try to educate yourself. If you're, you know, if you're a person that already understands and wants to help, talk to your friends that might not understand why this is necessary or, you know, why prices have gone up or why I should now tip 25% as opposed to 20%. Yeah. Start having those conversations. We all have um, influence. Right. You know, and start talking to your local council people and see how you can help your local economy boom a little bit more. And this is for restaurant owners too. Like we can't do this alone. Like partner up with, you know, people in your neighborhood, other business owners in your neighborhood, and figure out a great way to vocalize that you are raising your prices. Yeah. Get involved in your local government. Uh, go after the landlords that are suddenly raising prices. But you can't do that on your own. You need, like, legislators to do that for you. So go have those conversations. Get involved in your local right. economy. 
I love this. And it's, it's making me honestly listening to you is making me think of the, the restaurant unstoppable core values. And I think a lot of the core values came out in today's conversation. So I selfishly want to go through the core values real quick. If you, if you will entertain me, but it's, it's, um, we are students, we are educators, we are collaborators, we are communicators, we show up and we have fun. So like it starts with you learning if you have to spill over and lift those around you as an educator, you can't do it alone. You have to collaborate with other people and you have to communicate what's going on. So other people can get the perspective and communicate with an open mind. Understand that you don't have communicate with the intent to listen and understand, not be heard. Right. 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 We show up. That's half the battle is just showing up. And then we have fun because what's the point if we're not having a good time. Right. So, uh, and you've gone and you are a shining example of the core values and which is why, I wanted to to share that in this moment. Thank you. I appreciate that. This has been amazing. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, do you want, like, if you have a message for women out there, uh, women of diversity, I think that was something that is part of your mission too, is to create awareness. What's that message? Um, I think women, their entire lives have been taught to be resilient, but not be heard. And I think we need to shift that. Uh, resilience is a great skill to have. And I wish men were taught to be resilient a little bit more because resilience means you can bounce back. You're flexible. All of the things that you need to actually succeed, I think we need to get out of our own ways and stop listening to the voices from outside and find your inner strength and go after your goals. I mean, just chase your dreams. You're... Women are half... Half of the population. We are half of the industry. You know, I hope so. I mean, probably not in countries like India, right, where we're still. Different conversation. Right, different conversation. You know, but just chase your dreams. Don't let the, oh, you're a woman, oh, you're, you know, you're brown, or, you know, all of the things that people tell you that you're not, that is not the conversation. You are, and you you deserve a seat at this table. So go fight for it, yep. you know, be heard. Yep. I love that. Beautiful. Um, so I'm going to wrap up with some, some standard questions here. Um, the mission of restaurants Stoppable is to change the world by inspiring and empowering and transforming the restaurant industry. So if we're going to do that one person at a time, give me an example of how you have personally transformed. Who are you today versus the woman you were in 1993, 22 years old, getting started. I am much more confident I am more secure in myself. Um, I don't need to see myself reflected in anybody else. I can stand in front of a mirror and see who I am and be proud of what I do today. I love that. And this is the last question before we have you call somebody out. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, that's simple. Be kind, be kind, be kind. That's not as simple for other people. I get that though. The craziest eye rolls with that question, <laughs> but you handled it really well. And I think the message is be kind, be kind. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun saying thank you so much. Um, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out and I really want this to be restaurant stoppables North star. I don't want to be the person who decides who gets made an example of, I think success recognizes success. And if it's, if we're going to change the industry, it has to come from the inside out. So who do you respect? and admire and believe I should make an example of as a guest on the show like you made for us today. I 
thank uh, the team that is doing excellent work um, that is on the right track with at least the human services aspect of our service project is Freedom a la carte and Paula Haynes and the team that she works with. Uh, they work with uh, victims of uh, their sex, uh, sex abuse survivors or sex trafficking survivors and the work that they do and the education they provide and the training that they provide is just excellent. I mean, they're, they're really doing the good work out there. And they're based in, in, Columbus. in Columbus. Yeah. And they're growing fast and it's, it is just amazing to see this powerhouse group of women come together and support each other and pull each other out of such terrible spaces and who's the specific person I'm talking to? Paula Haynes. Paula Haynes. Look out. Mm-hmm. I'm coming after you. I'd love to provide my platform to you to get the message out. And this is where I say thank you so much, Song. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. And I almost forgot. To get, do you want to leave an email or a contact? I mean, you left your, your website, but do you not want people to direct you? Oh, no, absolutely. Social uh, handles? If Yeah. Um, look up Sangeeta Lakhani on my social handles or... If you're looking for me on Instagram, you might want to look for Mama Sang, um, everybody's mom, right? We got to raise them <laughs> somehow. Um, and if you are uh, looking for our website, Sang- um, sorry, if you're looking for my email, Sangeeta at servicerelief.org, um, any way you need to get a hold of me. It's, I'm easy to find in this town. I'm like Kevin Bacon. I'm one person, <laughs> one person removed from somebody, you know. And I'm going to do the spelling just in case because uh, it's uh, S-A-N-G-E-E-T-A, correct? Mm-hmm, correct. So, and um, L-A-K-H-A-N-I is the last name. And uh, you go by saying S-A-N-G. Mm-hmm. So it would be saying S-A-N-G-M-A-M-A, the Instagram handle? Correct. Got it. Um, And please, like, it's not just about looking to me for answers. There's, you know, a lot of support and conversations that we might be missing out on a lot of things that, you know, people out there might want to bring up or have questions about themselves. So please reach out on any level. I'm happy to be part of this conversation. Because, like I said, this doesn't happen in isolation. I need all of you to work together on this. Same. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been so amazing to be here. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Sang Lakani, for coming on and being an inspiration. I love what you're doing with service. Our mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And if your story isn't transformative, the work you're doing isn't transformative, uh, I don't know what is. And if we're going to change the industry, I think it has to be holistic. It's not just with owners. Our job as owners is to turn around and to lift up our employees. And Sang is lifting a bus over her head right now. It's amazing the amount of lifting she's doing to bring up the next generation of professionals and make this industry holistically healthy. Thank you so much for your work. And if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, man, we need your support. So there's a ton of things right now. So in the past week, I have moved out of my apartment and I have been on the road since last Sunday. As you're listening to this, it's going to be Thursday uh, Thanksgiving, as a matter of fact. Um, and since think the since the two Sundays before Thanksgiving, I've been in New York City. I had Mark Borgione on the show. We just recorded and uh, published the Sing Lacani episode. I also in Columbus, Ohio, had uh, 
Chris Artinian, the president and CEO of Condado Tacos, and Johnny Zella, the COO of Condado Tacos. That was an amazing interview. Both of those interviews were amazing. Uh, and Sam Ford down in Lexington, Kentucky with Tuk Tuk um, Teaser. She she tore up the James Beard Foundation. Uh, a lot of weird stuff happening, and I'm trying to create awareness about it because I just don't think it's right. Uh, and thank you for getting vulnerable there, Sam. And then this morning, I'm actually about to roll. I'm in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and I'm about to roll into my interview with Timory uh, Shibley. And um, she was referred to us by owner.com. So we got a lot of great stuff. This is the way I'm trying to go. This is the way I'm trying to take the podcast to to sacrifice myself to the, the road gods and to really just let the story happen. I'm try- I'm not, I don't want to force the story. I just want to listen and I want the industry to, to steer me in this direction. And I want this thing to be authentic and transparent and just, I don't know, different, you know, uh, it's, but I'm definitely taking the, I'm not taking the path of least resistance. I'll tell you that much right now. The work I'm doing is hard in, uh, after this trip, I'm headed to back to Kansas City. I'll be there for about a week. I don't actually have anything lined up there, if I'm being honest. So if you know of anybody in Kansas City who want or should be on the show, please let me know. Email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. And then from there, I'm headed up to Minneapolis. I think I'm getting the author, Joe Pine, of the economy, the um, the experience economy on the show, and possibly the author of um, How to Be a Great Boss, Renee uh, Bauer, on the show. So... We have some great stuff coming, and then I'll be home before the holidays is the plan. Uh, talking last night, I went out with uh, Timory and Patrick, the owners of Doodah Diner, the, the folks I'm interviewing today, and I was kind of sharing my story with them. And uh, Timory is also a big, uh, she is in an RV, and she inspired me. She's like, why don't you just try to get private lending? Maybe you have all these listeners, you have all these people out there who who want to see you be successful, who want to support your mission. And she's right, you know, and I, that's been on my mind, but it's something that I've been kind of just like, I don't know. I don't know why I haven't tried it yet. But if you're listening to this and you love this mission we're on to, to, to change the world through inspiring and empowering the industry, um, I'm looking for some support and I, I want to do this thing right. So I'm looking to raise about $100,000 um, to get an RV and to, to be 100% on the road and independent. So if you're willing to be a private investor in Restaurant Unstoppable, email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I want to make this shit happen. And uh, yeah, let's do it together. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much. Until next time, peace out.